again it's my privilege to be with you and uh, for those that were here yesterday basically last night we talked a little about what it means to have real success is not the way this world would measure success but the way God measures it and if you missed the last night presentation I would encourage you to listen online because it is crucial for your connection, your personal relationship with God. And if you remember, I said last night that in our society, people are extremely self-centered. That's one of the reasons we have so many conflicts, including in families, because everybody cares for self, what I like. And no longer people care for others. And I said last night that all people of faith in the Bible history and after have been people that have been willing to sacrifice self and that's a condition and I said last night if you remember that there is no happiness in fulfilling self-desires basically regardless how much you get regardless how much you do or whatever you do you will never really be happy because there is no happiness that God put there unless you learn to bless others. That's where the real happiness is. And I said that our life is lived in vain if we don't focus on being a blessing for others. And so on that line, I'm going to continue a little. And uh, let me uh, give you an example when we say I'm going to continue a little. Uh, I was... Uh, just quick story. You probably heard this story on the internet if you heard some of my presentations. I went to Cuba many times. Many, many, many times. And uh, one of the times, it was uh, in 2020, in February, I believe, right before COVID started in the US. I was in Cuba preaching, speaking, visiting, working a little with them and the seminary students. And then I left, and just a few days after I left, they closed the border because of COVID. And I got home and I was praying, what should I do for them? What should I do for them? And I was praying and praying because uh, it's something to pray. Lord, be with the poor. <laughs> and something else to say, Lord, help me to be with the poor. You follow me? Don't ask God to do what he asked you to do because you'll never get an answer. Oh Lord, may the gospel be preached in the whole world. The gospel is not going to preach itself. You say, Lord, help me preach the gospel. You follow me? And so I didn't say, Lord, may the people of Cuba be blessed. I said, Lord, how can I bless the people of Cuba? You follow me? And so God impressed me to send some money. And I'm not a millionaire, as you probably know. <laughs> and so I talked to my wife and she said, if God put it in your heart, do it. And uh, I'm a, style, a type of, of person that I've never been late with one bill in my life. Never, yet, never. Never one day late or anything like that. I am very picky and I keep the receipts in chronological order and I write on the back of the receipts and I check the receipts with the statements and if there is a penny mistake at one time at the gas station they charge me one penny more so I call discover I said that's wrong it's only a penny I said yeah but you, if you have 20 million people a penny each I said give me my penny back <laughs> I'm 
picky about stuff, you know. I know, my wife laughs too. Anyway, so I told my wife, if you send this money, what's going to happen to the bills? And she said, honey, it's going to happen exactly what you preach. When you do that, you trust in the Lord. That's what's going to happen. And I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know what I preach, but you know, to do it, as <laughs> and she said, then stop preaching it. <laughs> and I, I knew she was right. And every time people say, oh, you are people of faith, regardless how much people of faith we are, every decision is a new struggle. You follow me? So I had to struggle again and say, Lord, do I really trust in you? And I said, yes, I'm going to step in faith. Because we humans have a tendency to wait until problems are resolved and then step. And faith is when you step and trust that God will take care of you, though you don't understand it. And so, I send the money. As soon as I send the money, I got a video clip that if I play for you, you will cry. Basically, 16 of their students were foreign students from other countries in the Cuba seminary and when the borders closed they were stuck there they were not allowed to leave but they had no place to go to Cuba and the seminary was closed so there was no teachers no cooks no cafeteria open or nothing and they were stuck there at the seminary and they had no food and after two weeks of no food and they could not find anything and you're not allowed to travel for the first three months more or less, I don't remember precisely the details. They are so hungry that you are crying and praying, Lord, would you send us some food? So when I send it, somebody called me, one of the teachers, and said, from the money you sent, we have enough for the period of time, for the three months, to pay a cook, to pay the food, and to feed all these 16 students. And uh, I got a video clip with them singing, crying, and praying. When we are hungry, the Lord sent us food. And I tell you what, if I would have kept that money, I would have had no blessing. But when I watched the clip, I felt like I live again. You follow me? And trust me, we did pay our bills, all of them, and we did have some leftover somehow. But the point is, you'll never experience joy, happiness, and blessing before you learn to bless. You cannot call yourself a Christian or not even a human being if you don't learn to bless others. Hello? I know it sounds rough. I don't know you. It's not my intention to offend or to hurt you. But God created us to love. And before we learn to love, we just expect to be loved. Before we learn to love, we have no joy or happiness. And let me explain in the same note, a same page with Cuba. In 2010, long ago, 100 years ago, in 2010, when I was in Cuba in a mission trip, I believe you heard the story on the internet, probably some of you. I don't care, it's just the lesson that you need to hear. But anyway, in 2010, I was there and I was preaching and I was preaching and every night the church was 150, 200 children, packed with children and some of their parents. And I said, you guys did a good job to invite visitors. And they said, uh, we actually didn't. All the visitors that we invited maybe are 10, 20. These hundreds of kids that come and their parents is that lady there. That one lady brings them all. I said, if one lady can do that, imagine if everybody did that. So I went to her, I said, what strategies did you use? And she said, what? <laughs> I said, what methods, what programs? 
And she said, what? I said, come on lady, what did you do? She says, pastor, I don't get you. I said, what did you tell them that they came? Ah, she says, it's not what you say, pastor, it's how you live. I said, okay, tell me how you live. She says, well, come over and see it. It's too much to explain it. I said, okay. She said, tomorrow, two o'clock, see you, bye. I took the pastor, next day, 2 o'clock, we went to her house. Her house was literally from that wall to here, and from this mic to here. The size, or a little smaller than my, than my shed that I keep the tools in it. Literally. I have in my laptop pictures with her house. It's not regular walls, it's some metal sheets, steel, you know propped it and it's just the way it looks you not think that it's a house you think it's a shed that is broken inside the shed the house there are two bunk beds three levels and two levels and between the two bunk beds you would have to walk this way because there was no room it was so crowded and in front of the bunk heads it was a round table with three legs i've never seen that before three legs and they were kind of inclined short three chairs with three legs each you could see that your handmade a camping stove with the propane tank just like this and the camping stove like this and that was it, the whole house, the whole furniture. Extremely poor. And I said, okay, I came, it's two o'clock. She says, just wait, let's go outside. Okay, we went outside and children started to come in. It was flooding, I mean, double as many as came to the church, like two, three hundred, I don't know, I did not count them. But in front of her house, there were so many children, it was an army of children. And she said, sit down, and they all sat on dirt. And then she came with a big pot, gigantic pot. And she said, I want to know if you have the papers signed by the parents. If you do, get in line to eat rice. I said, what paper? She says, just watch it. Let them eat and then I have time to explain you. I said, okay. She says, be patient, pastor, be patient. I said, okay. And they started to come and shoot food rice. Next, rice, next, rice, next, you know, a big, big, big spoon of rice, next. And after all that rice, they were sitting down eating and she says, these parents in my neighborhood, most of them don't have a job. And they don't have food. And yes, they had the t-shirt so many times fixed that you would not know what part of the material is the original part of the t-shirt or the fixed part. You follow me? What color is the original color? And so she says, they don't have money. They don't have food. And God bless me. I have a job. I make $14 a month. One, four, 14. She said, and have you ever watched Muppets? Confession time. <laughs> Muppets? They have a big mouth from ear to ear. When they tuck, the whole head moves. Yeah. She opened the Muppet's mouth from ear to ear. And she says, I am blessed. <laughs> I was like looking around to her house. And I didn't feel that she was blessed. But she was visibly, profoundly happy. She says, I am blessed. And she was so excited that I was like, whoa. She would tell me that she won the lottery or something. And she says, God gave me the privilege to feed my whole neighborhood. And they live because I have a job. And God did not put me here and did not give me a job to eat it alone when they die of hunger. God did not put me in this neighborhood to live by myself. Think about that. 
And she said, I cannot afford to buy more, but I can, can afford to buy rice. And she says, I don't want to give them only rice, because Jesus didn't come to give us this life. He came to give us and died to give us eternal life. And I don't want to give them this food and then they die. I want them to live because people don't live only with bread. She was preaching. And she says, I want to give them spiritual food, spiritual bread. I want them to be in heaven. I would feel guilty if I go to heaven and they are lost. I want them with me. Jesus died for them too. And she says, I use the food opportunity to give them the spiritual food, she said. And she says, children don't listen. They play games, they talk. So in order for them to listen, and in order to make sure that their parents listen, she says, I cannot evangelize the parents. They are either communist, secular, or atheist. I cannot evangelize them. She says, they will never listen to me. But they do listen to their children. So she says, I, I have the children evangelize their parents. I said, how do you do that? She says, well, I tell them, I want to make sure that you listen. Therefore, I want you to remember whatever I taught you today. Go home and tell the parents. And if the parents signed on a piece of paper that you knew the story, then you can eat rice again tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> and she says they listen because they want to eat tomorrow. And they are a captive audience, Pastor. <laughs> And she says, I give them rice and the Bible story and the song. And, and they go home and tell the parents. And then in the night, everybody comes to evangelism, Pastor. And she says, they eat once and get preached twice. <laughs> Isn't that something? And she was happy. And I felt so guilty because I have three refrigerators and three freezers packed. To the degree that when we harvested the garden last summer, we had still stuff from the previous summer and we started to give it away to empty the, the freezers because we have too much. And sometimes I have the tendency to complain and to stress. You follow me? And she was happy to share the $14 a month. And she said, I am blessed. I am so blessed. I said, how can I help you? And she says, I don't need help because I pray and God helps me. And guess what? He does a better job than you, pastor. <laughs> and she says, I know him. I have experienced him. He keeps providing and I keep sharing it. So he gives me so I have what to share. Listen carefully to that lady. And she says, I don't need to ask anybody. George Miller he said, I never did any fundraising in England. You remember? I mentioned last night. Any fundraising. Yet, in that time, with that value of the money, he received millions of pounds. You know, millions. And he fed a whole generation. Churchill says he saved, quote, a whole generation of children. She said, Pastor, God blessed me tremendously. I don't need any help. I'm not going to go through the rest of the story. But that's the way to make a difference in the world. If everybody would care about the neighbors, our churches would be absolutely packed. You follow me? We live where we live in Maryland. And in the right side, we have a family. They are young and they are farmers. And they are kind of, I don't want to use the word, because they are extremely good people. But sometimes you call them those farmers that are red, burned by the sun, and big beard, you know how you... Okay. But they are extremely good. I mean, they care for us. He came when he had snow, he struck, and he plowed my driveway and said, neighbor, I want, I want you to be safe. I don't want you to fall. So I came to help you. They are good people. Across the street 
It's a guy. He mows the grass for everybody around. He's a good man. He talks a lot, even more than I do. But anyway, but he's a good man. <laughs> Across the street is a man who his wife died of cancer. His mother died of cancer. And his daughter has terminal cancer. And he is alone right now. But he is a good man. He stops by. How are you doing, neighbor? How are you doing? I say, well, I would like to pray for you. Oh, please pray for me. Pray for me. Good, good neighbors. But I next to us, who heaven, rough people, cursing, calling us names. You can take it for a day, for a month, but after two, three years, you get tired of it. I would see them and I would get stomach pain and I really started to kind of, I'm not going to say hate them, but I didn't like them. Anyway, and they, one night there was a bear crossing through the forest, through our backyard, to their yard, crossing the street into the man who lost his wife's yard. And imagine all the dogs, when they saw the bear, they were barking. Well, the neighbors called the police. His dogs are barking, these immigrants. We cannot sleep because of him. Our dogs don't bark, don't bite. Our dogs miss the school the day when barking was taught. They don't know how to bark. They know how to sleep, to eat, and to play. That's it. And the police came, and they heard dogs barking. And they come, and my dogs are sleeping. And I say, you hear barking? Yes. Do they bark? No. I said, you see? It was the neighbor's dogs, the farmer. And I said, they keep cursing us and calling us names. And, and they started to scream, you immigrants, da, da, da. And the police officer shook his head and said, just don't listen to them, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry that you go through this. Don't listen to them. And then they called the Humane Society. They abused dogs. If the dogs bark, they abused. The Humane Society came, looked to our dogs. They said, man, you feed them too much. They are too fat. <laughs> you spoil them too much. They live too well. Just, I, I, they said, we wish everybody would take care of the dogs as you do. I said, I love animals. I love. In Kentucky, when we had chickens, they would sit on my arm and eat from my palm and they would jump on my shoulders. And I love animals. I, I, I would love to be surrounded by animals. I just feel like hugging all of them. And I said, I, we, Gucci sleeps around my head on my pillow. How could I abuse them? Because he does with me whatever he wants. He has me around his, you know, paw. You know, I mean... Spoiled. If you see the pictures, I mean, you would understand. And so the Humane Society guy said, no complaining here. And they left. The neighbors kept calling the police and the Humane Society and cursing. After a while, I said to my wife, you know what? We move. And my wife says, what if God put you here for them to love your neighbor? I said, these are unlovable. <laughs> she said, did you pray for them? I said, you cannot pray for Satan. Come on. <laughs> And she says, honey, what do you preach? Stop preaching. Get out of ministry. I say, well, you love them. Leave me alone. And she says, but God loves them. I said, that's enough. I don't need to. If God loves them, that's enough. She says, honey, but they curse us. She says, honey, do you want them to perish for eternity or you want them in heaven? I said, no, I don't want them to perish. Then why don't you pray for them? I said, okay. And they had prayer. Lord, be with these evil neighbors. <laughs> and she says, that's not the way you pray. You said in the sermon that you'll never win somebody before you love them to the degree that you are willing to die for them. And she says, you said you have no right to even say something to somebody before you are willing to die for them. And I knew that I said that in my last Sabbath sermon. 
So I went on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't know how to love these people, but I'm going to make a covenant. I am willing to sacrifice. Listen, it was like pulling teeth. I am willing to sacrifice my life if you would save these neighbors. Would you please help me work with them? And please help me repent and change me? Because I want to be like you. When I said that, first in three years I had peace in my heart. Because I was so stressed and troubled, I would see them and instantly my stomach would start, you know. I had peace. I kind of didn't care. Well, just about five days later, the two dogs of the neighbors came to on our property and I heard my ring on my cell phone and I look and I see on the camera four dogs two our dogs and two the neighbor's dogs I said oopsie the, the evil neighbor's dogs came over <laughs> so I go out and I take the best treats and I pet them and hug them and get down and play with them and give them treats and they love me and they kiss me and, and the neighbor comes out and he opens a big mouth <laughs> And he doesn't know what to do, what to say. And I see him and I take the dogs and I go over, cross the property. I said, come, come home, puppy, come home, let's go home. And I bring them home and he says, uh, 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 thank you. <laughs> and I said, you are welcome, come over. He says, why? He says, come over. He says, did they break anything? You want to call the police on me? You want me to fix it or to pay for it? I said, no, they did not, nothing wrong. Did they poop and you want me to clean? I said, no, they did nothing wrong. Come over. Uh, why? He was afraid. I said, you are safe. Just come a little. I noticed we have a fantastic garden. I'm in love with gardening. When I go in my garden, you may think I'm crazy. I talk to my tomatoes and I'm happy. <laughs> Big tomatoes. I can show you pictures. 2.98, 3 pounds tomatoes. 40, 50, 60 on a plant, 10 feet tall tomatoes, and I don't use any fertilizer, just manure, you know? And, I mean, gigantic fruits like in Canaan. I have pictures on the scale, four pounds eggplants. Uh-huh. Watermelon, three feet and a half watermelon. Yes. We, the garden produced so much, I would go and pick every day buckets and buckets of tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers, and I have pictures. And I saw the neighbor's wife for two years trying to plant a garden, it never grew, not even a plant. Because we have so much soil and then solid bedrock on the mountain. And I put there cinder blocks, you know what I'm talking about? And manure from a Mennonite farm, as tall as the cinder blocks, 11 trucks of manure to have dirt to have a garden. But they try to do a garden on the rock. You know from the parable, it just doesn't grow on the rock. Okay. So she never managed to have one plant. And I said, come over, come over. Why? Come over for a second. I didn't say, I don't have a gun. Come I do have, but anyway. Come over. <laughs> and he came kind of hesitant behind me. And I took him to the garden. And I gave him a basket. I said, help yourself. He looks to the garden. He says, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I have pictures, by the way. If you want, I'm going to give you a link to go. Some basic tips of agriculture. I have some classes online, but I love it anyway. And so I said, help yourself. And he put literally two tomatoes. He wanted to go. No, 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 come back. You want me to waste it? I give to the neighbors. I take to work. I take to church. I can. We, 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 uh, for those that know canning, like old times canning, we love it. I freeze. We eat. We still have too much. 
One time in Kentucky, I invited the church. We had a tomato fight, and everybody loved it. And so, yeah, they said that was the best event they ever had in history. Anyway, and so I took peppers and eggplants and onions and cucumbers and tomatoes and one uh, watermelon and a couple of cantaloupes and I filled the basket and I gave him in his hands he was unable to carry it he says can I call my wife sure you asked me permission to call your wife <laughs> he left it down he called honey come over where to the neighbor what neighbor you know <laughs> she says are you there? I could hear her screaming, are you there? He said, yes, come over. No, come over, honey, please. Why? Just come to see something. She says, I'm going to take the kids to, feel, to be safe. He, <laughs> she came with the kids. They came and she sees the garden and she sees the basket and she opens a big mouth. And I give her another basket. I said, help yourself. And she's in shock. And she doesn't move. So I start putting and I fill her basket. I say, it's more than we can use. I say, well, share it. That's what neighbors do. And she starts crying. And she says, why would you do that? I say, we are neighbors. We are supposed to live together and love each other and help each other. To and she says, well, uh, I don't know what to say. I said, you don't need to say anything. I would like to do something for you too. You, you know, we, are, we are blessed. Uh, we just made the bread. It's warm, it's fresh. Would you want the bread? I said, that's your bread. No, please. Please let me, let me share a blessing with you because you share so much with us and we don't deserve it. I said, okay, give me the bread. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> she sent her son. He comes back with the bread. I take the bread, break a little. I said, this is really good. The best bread. Give me the recipe. And she smiles and then she starts. And for 40 minutes she told me her life story. It's like we knew each other forever. And she says, I cannot sleep in the night, and I take pills, and I am sick, and this and that. And she says, I blame people around, but it's my fault. And she went on and on and on. I said, come over sometime, come and we eat and we talk, and I pray for you. Instantly, all the hate was gone. Amen. What if each church member would take an unhealthy cookie, go to the neighbor, Take a bread, take a tomato, take something, go to your neighbor and says, how are you doing? I want to give you a tomato and a prayer. People are stressed in our society. Don't be afraid to offer a prayer. You follow me? They need it. They are waiting for it. Just to listen to what they say after you pray with them. And then you need to know how to listen. Well, don't pray that they should repent and keep Sabbath and know the state of the dead. You know. <laughs> they should rather know the state of the living, you know. But anyway, going back. God called us before anything else to be like Jesus. And regardless how much you go to church is good. Please don't get me wrong. We should go to church. But regardless how much you go to church and how many doctrines you know and how many doctrines you keep, unless you show Jesus' character of love and compassion and humility and care, you will never win anybody, not even yourself or your family or your children. Before you show Christ's love, that's the best evangelism. And after you preach by your love, then you have the right to also say words. You follow me? 
I'm going to, uh, I, could, I could give you many examples. I don't want to spend my whole time because I have only 12 minutes left over. They somehow turned the clock ahead. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but what if, because if somebody has hurt you, if somebody has offended you at home, at work, doesn't matter. If somebody has hurt you, what if instead of just living with that pain, what if you start praying for them and say, Lord, I not only pray for them, but I am willing to sacrifice self. I am willing to give my life. Would you consider if that's what it takes to take my life and save them? That's real Christianity. I'm not saying that I'm a Christian. My wife was, not me. It took me a little repentance to get there. Christianity is to be so connected with God to the degree that Christ lives in you and you no longer live. You don't make the decisions. He does. You don't have feelings. You feel what he feels. You don't have desires. He desires. You don't live for self. You don't make plans. He makes the plans. And you fully trust in him. And in order to trust him, the reason we don't obey God is not necessarily because we don't like or love God, but it's because we are afraid of what's going to happen to us. To fully surrender is more difficult than to keep Sabbath. As I said last night, lazy people keep every day. It's more difficult than to keep the doctrines. To fully surrender is the most difficult job. And the reason we don't surrender is not because we don't want to, but because we are afraid to. What's going to happen to me? <clears throat> and why are, we, why are we afraid to? It's because we don't know our God. We know about God, but we don't experience God. And the reason we don't know God is because we don't spend time with Him. Better be God. <laughs> it's because we don't spend time with him. And so, think about it. The more time you spend with him, not to do your duty. I got to read three chapters today. But rather with a desire to know God, like Moses. I want to know you. <clears throat> I want to see you. Tell me who you are. <clears throat> Show me your grace. Show me your glory. I want to know you. <clears throat> Excuse me. A passion to know God. Like David. A day with you is better than a thousand days in Las Vegas. He doesn't say that. He says, I've seen you in your sanctuary. Your love is better than life. I want you more than food. I want you more than water. In a dry land where there is no water. I've seen you and I want you and I want nothing else. When I am with you, I need nothing. I am happy. Well, David did have needs. Remember, he was followed by King Saul and the whole army. He could have said, Lord, protect me, or Lord, uh, give food to my soldiers in the wilderness. Or He could have had many reasons, many prayer requests. You follow me? But he says, when I am with you, I need nothing. It's enough for me. To pray and to study, not to solve problems, not to get a blessing, not to get healing, not to get help. There is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing, Jesus says that we should cast all our needs upon him. There is nothing wrong with that. But we, all we want from God is his blessings to the degree that things that were intended to be a blessing have become a curse because we got to the point that we worship blessings instead of worshiping God. Do you follow me or I said it too fast? Blessings have become curses because we got to the point that we worship blessings. It is okay to present your needs if you first seek his presence more than his blessings. To go to prayer and to study with a fervent desire, hunger, thirst 
for him, not for his blessings. I want to know you. I want to understand how you think. I want to understand how you function. I want to understand your love. Show me a drop of your love. You follow me? <clears throat> when you seek God, God promises, if you see me with all your heart, I will let myself be found. God promises, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. You remember? Well, let me explain a little. The more we seek blessings, the less we seem to get. But the more we seek God, that's when we find blessings. For two reasons, as far as I understand. Could be more. We don't even have time to go there. But at least two reasons. Number one, the more we seek God, the closer you get to Him, the more without human effort you are transformed. If you wonder how can you experience transformation, it's not in human power. Have you tried to change yourself? Did you manage? Because I don't. Good luck. Keep trying. You'll fail. You can change your external behavior. You cannot change your heart. But the closer you get to him, without human effort, at the foot of the cross, as you reflect on God's love and character and righteousness and sacrifice, and you understand that Jesus, the God of the universe, the most holy, the God, the creator, came here and died for you. And for me, God dying for me. You can put your name, you say May, or John, or whatever. Paul, God died for me. Just that thought is going to get your heart. At the foot of the cross, as you reflect to his love, to his sacrifice, to his character, the more you know him, the more you understand him, the more you are transformed without any effort. Because the Bible says we are changed from glory to glory by beholding. Just looking to him, you become more. Whatever you focus your mind on, that's what you become. Whatever you dwell in, that's what you become. And so number one, the more time we spend with him, the more we are transformed without any effort. And by the way, that's not a one-time deal. That's a lifelong process. Okay. And number two, the more time we spend with him, the more we understand how he works. And so we recognize his works among other things. The more we recognize his voice, God does talk. The Bible says in Isaiah, your ears will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the path. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear what the Spirit says, God does talk. We just never listen. We talk and go. We tell help me, bless me, amen. We don't even have time to wait in his presence and miss the blessing because we are in hurry. We say and go. It's like a duty prayer. You follow me? We don't spend time in prayer and study. Prayer and study should never be separated. Prayer and study go together like a dialogue. Through prayer you talk to God. Through study God talks to you. And you don't just pray and study. You pray and study and pray like dialogue and study and pray and study and pray and study and think, reflect, ask questions and pray and study and think. You digest it. You follow me? You ask questions. And so... Going back, the more time you spend with him, the more you know him. The more you know him, the more he can lead you. You follow me? For instance, I tell in my sermons, if you call me whoever you are, I don't know who you are. I'm going to think that you are a telemarketer or spam or something. But if my wife calls me, guess what? I know who she is. Because she calls me all the time. Before coming here, we talked in the morning, we talked last night, we talked every two, three hours. She calls me or I call her. And she knows that I eat. I was born eating, you know. And she knows that I, I never gain a pound, by the way. I know it's not fair, but what can I do? 
Okay, so she says, honey, did you eat? I did. Good. I love you. I love you too. I miss you. And we put on FaceTime so I can see her and she can see me. When we go to sleep, we, we fall asleep on FaceTime. She falls asleep fast because she needs eight hours of sleep. I sleep only four hours a night. I cannot sleep more. But anyway, and so, and, and so I love you. I love you. Bye. Four hours later, honey, how are you doing? Good. Did you eat? No. Are you hungry? Yes. Stop. Take a, take a short break. Get a sandwich. Get, get a banana. Get an apple. Get something. Chew something. I know, but I am busy. Stop and get a banana. I'm going to call you two minutes later. I, I want to make sure that you eat. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Two minutes later. Did you get a banana? I did. Okay. Love you. Bye. When I drive home, I go between mountains. There is no signal. Zero bars. The, the telephone goes off. Trrt. Honey, banana, love you. <laughs> How do I know that he's my wife? I know the voice and I know the message because she is always consistent. The more you talk to him, the more time you spend with him. God doesn't change. God is consistent. The way he worked with Abraham is the word with, he worked with Joseph and the way he worked with Moses. And God doesn't change. He has the same methods, the same love, the same consistency, the same rules. And the more you talk to him, the more you know the voice, the more you know the message, the more you are going to understand God's works. Show me thy works. You follow me? And the more you know how to distinguish between all voices and God's voice. And people want to hear God's voice. Stop looking for a voice. Start looking for God. Because you, what we need is to have a real God, not a theory of God. People don't come to church for good programs. If they need good programs, they turn on the TV. People come to church to find God. And that's what we need. We need the presence. My time is up. Only two minutes. Prayer would solve our problems. Number one, if we put God first, not his blessings. Because if we put the blessings, we are not going to use them properly. But if we put God first, then it's safe for God to give us power and blessings because we are going to use them selflessly. But not only number one. If we put God first. But also, if we allow God to work according to his will. Because we think this is what I need. But God knows the future. He knows the big picture. He knows everything. And he says, that's what you think that you need. But in fact, if you knew what I know, you would need this. So, I do answer your prayer. But not the way you ask. I'm going to answer having in mind the big picture better than you ask. And we don't see God answering the way we ask. We ask and we say, he didn't answer. He answered better than you asked. You follow me? And so, if we put him first, and if we allow him to be God, he's going to answer your prayers. To every prayer, to every honest prayer, God answers, but he answers in his way, in his time. And we have no patience and no trust to let him work. And that's the reason we need to know him in order to trust him, in order to allow him to work and to wait. That's the reason the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Let me give you a story and we finish. <coughs> talking about prayer. Talking about prayer. Many years ago, my wife and I decided to go to Norway for about uh, almost a year. It was not a year, nine, ten months, I don't remember. An agriculture class. It was called European Bible School. It was not so much, but it was Bible too. But it was more healthy lifestyle, massage and agriculture. 
organic agriculture. My wife and I got certified for in organic agriculture. It's not that we are experts, no. Just for home gardening, certified in organic agriculture. Anyway, and we went there. But before we went there, to driving from Romania to Norway, it's a long way. I don't remember how long, but over 4,500 kilometers, whatever. I mean, you drive all the way to north in Europe, you know? And so, anyway, uh, we went to the Norwegian embassy, we applied, it took three months for the applications, they called us, come back to get your visa. We went back and they gave visa only to me and my wife, not to the kids. And our kids were small. I mean, I don't remember, three and six years old or four and seven, but somewhere there. And they said, you miss a paper for the kids. You need to bring another paper. They miss this type of document. And I said, but we, we got to leave today. Because school starts in two days. And we need so much for the trip and this and that. And we got to leave. And they said, no problem. Leave. The kids can come tomorrow with your parents. And then... And then... They are going to put them on a plane, fly them to Oslo, and you go there tomorrow or whenever and pick them up. I said, okay. And we believed it. Duh. You know, we trusted them. We left. We got to Norway after a long trip. And when we called back, my parents-in-law said, the ambassador refused to give visa to the kids. I brought the document and the ambassador said, the consul or whatever said, how do we make sure that they don't stay they don't try to immigrate in Norway. We need to keep the kids here to make sure the parents come back. So they rejected the visa for the kids. I mean, you may stay two days without your kids, but you don't stay almost one year without the kids. You follow me? So what should they do? What should they do? What should they do? I went to the passport service. Give them visa. He says, nope. Give them visa. Nope. We want to make sure that you go back. I don't need your country. I'm here for school. I have a good life in my country. I have a good job. I have a business. Give them visa. Nope. And I said, well, should they apply again? He says, they cannot. I said, why? And he said, by law, in our country, after you are rejected, for six months you are not allowed to apply. You are disqualified. And then when you apply, all the paperwork by law takes three months. So altogether nine months. And your school, it's about nine, ten months. So stop trying. We are not going to let your kids come. What should I do? I got frustrated. I got stomach pain. I got my ears turned red when I get upset. And my wife says, calm down. They don't let the kids come. She says, honey, did you pray about it? I said, no, but it's obvious. She says, did you pray about it? I said, well, uh, no. She says, did we pray about coming to school? I said, well, we can pray now. <laughs> She says, we are already in Norway. It's too late. <laughs> and she says, what if God didn't want us to come here to begin with? And she says, why don't we put it before God in prayer? And instead of asking him to do what we want, why don't we ask him to help us do what he wants? Do you understand the prayer? Instead of asking him to do what we want, we should ask him to help us do what he wants. My time is up, I passed it, and you need to go back to school, probably some of you. I'm trying to wrap it up. And so, we said, instead of praying the way people pray, Lord, give me this, give me this, give me that forever, forever, trying to twist God's arm, to force God, to manipulate God, to do whatever they ask. This way, they make themselves gods, and they make God a servant. Instead of doing that, my wife and I decided that we are going to put a limit. 
and we are going to learn to say, may your will be done and to mean it. So what we said, we are going to pray for 30 days. And if God wants us to be in school, the kids will come. And if that doesn't happen, it means we should not be there, so we go back. Well, the school administration and the students told us, doesn't make sense to wait them in 30 days because the law is the law. They cannot break the law. The kids are not even allowed to apply for six months. I said, no, my God is bigger than the law. My God says and it happens. If God wants them to come, he says, let them change the law or whatever. And, pff, you know. and if not, that means that we should not be here. We did a mistake by coming to begin with. So we are going to give 30 days. And that's it. And we said we are going to invite you to pray with us for our kids. So the school students got together every night from 6 to 6.30. And we had a jar. And each one was allowed to bring one prayer request. God allowed it. He turned it in something really good. Because each student brought a prayer request. And every night from 6 to 6.30, all the students would take a slip of paper from that jar. And we would pray for one another, each one for whatever was on that paper. Each one would take a slip and pray for whatever is there. And we started to get answers to prayers. And it brought the students together and it brought unity and a deep spiritual life and a sense of God's presence in the school. And I could go on and on to, to share the whole story. We don't have time. But I went to the passport service after a few days. I said, would you let the kids come? No. Then I give up school. Why would I care? Did I call you here to come to, to our school? I said, why do you separate families? He says, because we, we want to make sure to go back. We have too much immigration. I said, I'm not staying. I don't care. We are not going to allow your kids to come. It's the law. I left. I said, should we leave to my wife? She says, no, you said 30 days. Why don't you let God be God? Give him the time. 30 days. Every day. Every day. I hate it when God answers in the last second, but what can I do? <laughs> Every day, every day, 28, 29, 30. In the morning, I pack the car, we go home. She says, 6.30 tonight is 30 days. I said, honey, this is the 30th day. She says, no, you preach that God always works in the last moment to test your faith and to show you that it was him, not you. So, 30 days, 6.30 tonight. Okay, the car is packed, 6.30. After the prayer meeting, we get in the car and leave this country. Okay. 12 noon, we got a phone call from the passport service to go at 5.30, half an hour before 6, to pick up the kids from the airport in Oslo. Wow. I said, what happened? And they gave me the story. Well, we had a meeting, the government, and we talked about immigration, too much immigration in Norway. And after the meeting, we had a meal. And long story short, at the table where the king of Norway was eating was the prime minister and the chief of passport service and this and that and that and that. And he told the story, too much immigration, like this family from Romania, they threaten me that if we don't let the kids come, they are going to leave the school. Why would I care? They can leave school, I don't care. And the king says, we do care for people in education, we do care for families. Give me the paper, I'm going to sign an exception, have them get the visa. They called the ambassador in Bucharest, the ambassador was home. They went home, called the ambassador, he came to the embassy, called our parents-in-law, they took the kids, got the visa, took the plane tickets, put the kids on the plane, 5.30, we picked them up. Many of the school students came to pick them up from the airport. But this is very strange. When you ask for something, you don't get it. When you are willing to surrender it and let God do whatever he wants, then you get it. Because Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. And whoever is willing to lose his life is going to save it. Basically, whatever you keep, you lose. 
Whatever you are willing to surrender and give it to God, that's what you save. Because only God can preserve it and save it and bless it. And in order to be blessed, you need to give it to, to God, not to keep it. Hello? Did you hear what I said? Amen. Our time is up, seven minutes up. I mean, behind. We got to finish. But I pray with all my heart that prayer becomes, I want you to talk more about prayer and surrender, we don't have time, that prayer becomes real in your life, not to the degree of duty prayer, routine prayer, or crisis prayer, help me, help me, I am desperate, but rather to the degree of relationship prayer. Lord, I want your presence in my life. I want to know you, I want to experience you, I want to understand you, I want to see you, I want to walk with you, I want to surrender, I want to know you enough to trust you and I don't understand, I want you to control my life. That's when God can work in you and through you. That's when He works to the degree that you make a difference. That's when you have influence over those around you. God bless you. I pray or somebody else prays. Me? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, what can we say, whatever we say still can never describe, not a drop, not a, not, not, not a, a millimeter of your love and character and, and righteousness and plans. Oh Lord, we would love to know you more, to understand you, to have a thirst as a deer is thirsty for water. So we would love to thirst for your presence. Help us to make a decision today to seek your presence every day more than we seek help to seek your presence to know you to walk with you to allow you to control our lives we pray in jesus name amen god bless you this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www dot audioverse dot org